0: Now we're in for a very special conversation on mission-driven government and delivering security and economic growth for people in an uncertain world. And it's a really high level and exciting panel. So please join me in welcoming Prime Minister of Norway, Jonas Støre and the leader of the Labour UK party, Keir Starmer, and moderated journalist, Josie Pagani. Um, I'm absolutely thrilled to be
1: joined uh, by Sir Keir Starmer and Prime Minister, Jonas and we're going to get uh, straight into a, a couple of sort of introductory statements and just to, to remind ourselves why we're here. And it's, it's not what the British media have been saying, a lefty conclave in Montreal. Um, and I'm looking forward to the white smoke coming out of the Western Hotel when we make Tony Knair our Pope. And this is actually about how mission-driven progressive governments can guide us all through unstable times. So I would like to first invite Prime Minister Jonas to please do an introductory statement followed by the leader of the Saber Party,
2: Keith Thank you so much, uh, Josie. You know, mission-driven policies, I think this is attractive to progressives because we have a com- comprehensive approach to, to politics and what we you know, aim for society. My opening remark will be that Mission-driven policies have to be able to sustain external pressure and changing times. You know, uh, my government came into office in October 21. We had the pandemic back after uh, a month. We had uh, inflation, interest rates going up, electricity prices going up, hitting our electorate with the war in Ukraine coming and, and really changing some fundamentals. So, how do you then maintain your 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 uh, your uh, your big ideas and your big projects under that kind of pressure when your key electorate is really the one affected in their daily lives by these changing circumstances. I think that's a very uh, important issue to discuss among among ourselves.
1: Yes, I think to sum that up, it's, um, yeah, a plan beats no plan, but a 10-point plan doesn't beat a 5-point plan.
0: And <laughs> Sakia. So, um, so well, thank you very much. I should start by saying it's really fantastic for me be here at the first of these events that I've attended and it's been fantastic to um, swap notes as well as discuss the real global issues with uh, leaders in post, um, leaders of the opposition who hope to be in post and those who've had experience in government and I can tell you um, we're within 12 months probably of our election it is invaluable to have those exchanges here um, on so many different issues in terms of this question of mission-driven government, I think the context is really important because people often ask me, you know, what's the political mood back at home? And I've asked pretty well everyone I've asked uh, been speaking to here, um, and it's very flat. There's a sort of axis of insecurity, um, both domestically, I think, and internationally. And so for us, we're very conscious of the fact that um, the last time the Labour Party in the United Kingdom came from opposition into government was when Tony was leading us uh, back in 96 going into 97 and the mood was very different to the mood now and I think that that has to be the content you can see it internationally of course Um, the insecurity is there because of the conflict in Ukraine a war going on on the continent none of us thought we'd see that again uh, in our lifetime and that that's thrown up geopolitical tensions which we're all aware of and and driven this sense of Economic insecurity, which is felt internationally and very much domestically, you go anywhere in the United Kingdom and economic insecurity, this sense of a cost of living crisis, which is out of control, is very, very powerful. A sort of climate insecurity, because increasingly in all of our countries, what we're seeing is this disconnect between, or some people trying to make a disconnect between, the climate obligations and the economy. And that's being used by our opponents pretty well in every country. Um, that is represented here um, today. And, of course, border security. This is something that I've been talking a lot about um, over the last few days. Very often people say progressive shouldn't talk about border security, that um, we should say nothing on the issue, not trespass into that area. I disagree. I think it's a progressive issue. Um, And, you know, the moment a government has lost control of its borders, then it's criminal gangs that run them. um, And that isn't progressive at all. Uh, Out of that, we've developed... Um, our strategy going into the election, which is mission-driven government, that an incoming government, if we're privileged uh, to win the election, will be mission-driven with a sense of five or even ten-year purpose that will help us. And Jonas and I have been talking, actually for many years, um, on various issues. I'm very grateful for uh, his support in everything I've been doing um, about the intention of a government that wants to come in if it wins an election on mission-driven government and then the everyday pressures that will always knock a government um, off course. So that's you know how we achieve that and weld together not just what we want to achieve but how we achieve it. I think is going to be crucial.
1: So let's talk about that that axis of instability and start with talking about borders. Um, I, we were welcomed by Prime Minister Trudeau last night, who talked proudly of Canada's immigration policy of it, of, of its open borders to refugees. On the other hand, just to misquote. David Frum, he, he, he said something like, if, if the left insists on enforcing borders, that enforcing borders is the job of fascists, uh, then voters will hire fascists to do the jobs that progressives won't. So we're juggling these two things. How do we balance our, our instinctive compassion with control of borders?
2: Well, I, you know, I think we're, have to go back to the core that, you know, uh, countries are, are run state by state and you have borders and borders are key to order and security. And, and we must never not be on the side of order and security because people need that in their lives. So I think that in my, to, to, in my view, that has been demystified now. It cannot be different. It has to be something which is a key responsibility of government. Then this issue will also depend on geography. Of course, I mean, what, what care is facing in the UK, what, uh, Italians are facing, you know, with, with, what happens across that, uh, uh geography is different. Speaking for my country, you know, uh, the, the big theme this year is of course, Ukrainian refugees coming in, they are welcomed. So they are, they are received. They, they get collective protection, uh, and they are basically to be found in every of Norway, Norway's 350 municipalities, all are taking them in. So that's, that's the least controversial kind of influx of people coming, but but in great numbers, you know. So it's it, it's 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 a big challenge, and it's also say, an opportunity because they can take part in society and work. Our border, which is a pretty complex one, is our border with Russia, mm-hmm. in the north, and how we manage, you know, that border, and also in terms of of, of security. And right now, it's a border which is uh, which used to be very closed. And in the fine years of the early part of the century, we had increased traffic across the border. Now we are closing down again. Which is a border closing, which is of course geostrategically very. Uh... Yeah,
1: that that's a border you probably want to close, <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but Kia, how what does a progressive um, border policy look like apart from attacking the gangs? I, I just
0: source. In principle, it's wrong to think that control of the border is not a progressive issue. Because if you lose control of the border, a number of things happen. That's when, in certain places, you get into the business of people talking about walls and fences because you've lost control of the border. It goes down this slippery slope. And if you can't have a wall and a fence, you have some of the gimmicks that we're seeing in the United Kingdom where, for the first time, we've got a situation having lost control of the borders the government has got a policy of not allowing those that have entered illegally to even claim asylum um, and or pretending it's gonna send them out to Rwanda. So if, if as progressives, we step out of the debate on borders and say, that's not for us. Um, it's, uh, it's a right-wing issue. We, don't, we don't, are not concerned with um, control of borders it's a slippery slope to a much worse place. So actually progressives need to be in this place. Um, And, you know, what I think most citizens in most countries want, we're not intolerant, actually. We are welcoming of other people. Um, It's a mischaracterization to suggest that society isn't like that. But underneath that, or underpinning that, if you like, is this sense of, it ought to be the government that decides who comes. It shouldn't be a criminal gang that's making millions, hundreds of millions of pounds, running a very, very vile raid. Um, In our particular case, putting people into dangerous boats to cross a very dangerous part of the channel um, and putting tens of thousands of lives at the risk um, every time they do it. So I I, I want to push back against this sense that this is somehow not a progressive issue. If it's not a progressive issue, then it's going to a much worse place, I think.
1: Let's talk about Ukraine and and the fact that Um, Russia was the Wagner Group, but, you know, fomenting chaos in Africa at the moment, likely to increase the number of immigrants coming to Europe, which actually is is an existential threat to progressive parties. You're right here if we're not dealing with this in a way that voters want us to. Um, So the challenge for us with Russia and Ukraine is not just about Ukraine and the rule of law and liberal democracy. It's also about immigration, actually, because um, Russia is going to make that a lot worse. So... Are we doing enough, Jonas, about Ukraine? Does Europe need to do more? And what what care would a, would a Labour government
2: do? Well, here I think you know we have to to be clear about the issues because uh, uh, um, the the war in Ukraine is creating instability in multiple circles beyond Ukraine. Food prices, uh, uh, you know, a, a number of issues. You mentioned Africa, but you can go far into the Caucasus, down into Asia, go to G20 and see what happens there, What what, what is the agenda, what is the shift in, in, in global politics as a result of this. So, so you know, it is also touching immigration, of course, and, uh, you know, we can boil it down to the Wagner group in different countries in Africa, the coup culture uh, growing in, East, in in Western Africa. But coming back to your question, are we doing enough in in, in Ukraine? I was there two weeks ago. And, uh, you know, we are doing a lot in Ukraine. So the question is, will we continue to do a lot in Ukraine and will we, will we be able to sustain Ukraine with what they need in the longer run? So this, uh, these are some fundamental issues in terms of, uh, our, um, ability to produce enough, enough weapons, military equipment. We have a total, totally different industry for that purpose compared to Russia. They can scale up that kind of production as they are doing now. Uh, we, we kind of can't. Mm. So we have to, to, to rethink that. At the moment, you know, uh, uh, one, one remark on that, on Ukraine. What we have done in Norway is to say, we will pledge support to Ukraine. It's a big package on military, economic, humanitarian. And it's a big sum of money. Per capita is the biggest. But the important part about our program is it's a, it's a five-year thing. And I think that is important now to, 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 to communicate to Ukraine that we are there for the long haul. And that's what I see now that European Commission is trying to do, that they're going to pledge your, your EU support for more than only uh, the next quarter. Uh, and um, this is, I believe, absolutely existential, that we have to do.
1: Would a Labor government well, uh, be in there for the long
2: haul?
0: Yeah, I mean, this is a really good challenge because obviously border security is at what level what happens in each individual country and where they've got control of it. But Ukraine is a pressure. Um, climate is a pressure on the movement of people, poverty, of course, and persecution and conflict. These are big drivers and they're likely to get more powerful. And so on the one hand, I think progressives have to have a good answer as to um, what the control of the borders looks like in their particular country but also shown global leadership on the issues that are driving the movement of people. Um, because in the end, climate is an example of this. We need climate leadership mm. because it's you can, you can see already what is likely to happen with the movement of people and the countries that are most at risk. And one of the um, most saddening things, I think, in the UK in recent years is a sense that somehow we're stepping off the international stage, that Brexit was seen as not just... Um, a change in our relationship with the EU, but a sort of turning of our backs on the world and we're drifting off the international stage. You can feel it almost everywhere you go. And if we're privileged to come into government, I think one of the first tasks for an incoming Labour government is going to have to be to restore the UK um, on the world stage, to restore and make sure that we are part of the discussion about the challenges and show that leadership. And um, certainly... The climate is being weaponised now in a way that it wasn't five years ago. There was actually quite a consensus on the climate for quite a long time. Now it's being weaponised and we need to step up um, to that on the global stage. Make Britain great again. No, just make Britain, you know, actually it's a question of being, you know, what what do progressives bring to these challenges? Which I think is a profound question for this gathering. And I think we bring an openness um, not to be misjudged. I mean, Justin Trudeau gave some remarks opening the ceremony last night, and was talking about the sort of moralism of progressives that we impose on other people. We we mustn't go into that space. Uh, we're not looking down on the rest of the world, but we do believe in an open um, approach, pragmatic answers to the problems that are there, and rules-based collaboration um, and and active governments that go with it. So this is not make Britain great Britain, It is let. I think that only progressives can solve the real global challenges that we face. And I don't think we should lack confidence in asserting that. And that's why events like this are so useful, to bring that together to improve all of our understanding and thinking on these difficult issues.
1: I I want to come to economic insecurity and climate domestically, but just to push you on Ukraine, a Labor government would be in for the long haul.
0: Absolutely. I mean, on on Ukraine... um, I have um, been to Kyiv to speak to President Zelensky, as many people have, and to deliver the message face-to-face to to him that should there be a change of government in the United Kingdom there will be no change in the position of support for Ukraine. I think it's very important. And um, although we have fallen out with the UK government on just about everything else under the sun, Mm -hmm. uh, we've been very, very careful on Ukraine that we would not divide, we would show that solidarity because Putin is the one who's looking for the division. Um, and we're certainly not going to allow that to happen.
1: To come to, to, to economic insecurity, um, the, the new industrial policies being rolled out and so on. What, why have progressives tolerated a rise in economic inequality for so long, progressive governments, and yet we have been ready to march on the streets for climate change. Now, I'm not saying these are all, but it's, it's a, it's a difficult challenge, I think when we're asking for a lot of climate policy to be paid for off the backs of the poor?
2: Well, I, I, I object to that. You know, we have not accepted inequality. We came to office with a, a policy of turning that around, a policy of equity. And, and I, I think we have made an interesting experience in having done a number of things to use various political instruments to create a fairer society. You know, uh, uh, work is the most important part. We are getting people back to work, low unemployment, uh, have the right mix of benefits and encouragement, education and so on, and and having a major focus on that. The challenge here is that when you get inflation and interest rates going, all of that is being kind of uh, not dwarfed, but it's, it's, it's being fundamentally challenged. So that part of our electorate may be not, you know, attending this very interesting conversation. Uh, 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 they feel in their daily lives that things are going in the wrong direction. And they turn around and they say, who, who, who is in charge here? Why don't you fix it? And you know, what we see now, I, I had a week ago, the first figures that inflation is starting to come down. But, 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 but these challenges that we are now facing in terms of price hikes and so on are not fixed by single votes or single programs. It takes time. So this is, I think, is a, a big challenge for progressives because our values are, are, are there. The directions of the policy, the mission-oriented policies of, of, of education, of, of, of labour, of industry, of climate, it is all there. But, 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 but when you are governing in times of increasing inflation and interest rates, it's a very hard time, not that being the key issue.
1: Is there a problem for us that as progressives that we, are, on the one hand, say this is the cheap option, the, the clean, green jobs of the future will be will actually be the cheapest long-term solution. At the same time, we're saying we need trillions of dollars to get this right and we must prioritise it. Is there a problem there? I I think that
0: there's a problem in politics, which we've certainly experienced in the UK, in the Labour Party, particularly in the last 10 years. And that is we've been too focused on our own party and movement and the discussions we're having within that movement on things like climate change and not focused enough on where the voters are. Um, and if you're going to take people on a journey, and this is a journey, you start from where they are. And they are very, very insecure. Mm. Um, you know, By and large, pretty well for millions of people in the UK, um, their costs have gone through the roof and their wages have stayed stagnant. And they are not able to do things now, which they were able to do only a few years ago. For working class, for working people, this is the complete opposite of the aspiration and opportunity that drives them. Um, And we have to understand that, and therefore, if we then do the moralising that Justin was talking about yesterday, saying you must do this because we've thought this through, and you need to just do as we tell you, that will not work. So we have to make the argument about the challenge of net zero, about uh, lower prices. Why, if we do the transition to clean power by 2030 in the UK, when your prices go down, you'll be paying less. We have to make it about security. Um, if we get, you know, if we go to renewables at pace, we become less reliant on the international market, and Putin can't put his boot on our throat. And families are not at the diktat of Putin for the ups and downs of their own um, family budget. And we have to take people whose jobs may be affected by the change on a fair transition to where they're going next, and they need to be brought in and believe that. And the net zero bit of it, if you like, comes as the sort of fourth strand of the argument. We've led, um, I think, with um, a sort of almost patronising argument, certainly in the UK, that we've had to turn around um, completely. I would also add that, and this has been a problem for us, everybody wants economic growth. We haven't had it significantly now in the UK for many years. Um, But if we're going to do it, and we must, and it's one of the missions that we will have if we're privileged to come into power, it's got to be economic growth everywhere, because certainly in uh, the UK, um, having growth in London and the southeast and redistribution as a one word answer for the rest of the country um, is is in me, to, to my mind, in principle wrong. It isn't the way we should build the economy and lacks the basic dignity and respect that our communities um, require. And respect is a word that's in progressive um, this discourse over the last five years has become a key word now, um, where we've been looking at all the electoral strategies of all our sister parties for the last few years, and respect is one of those threads that you can see going through.
1: Um, I'll come to the last question really. I mean, Jonas, do we need to understand better the appeal of the populists, that they're optimistic, they want to blow the system up in your favour? Yeah, and and I know Tony Blair says a thing where uh, um, you know the radicals aren't sensible enough and the sensible people aren't radical enough. So you talk about mission government. Do we need to be radically on mission to defeat the populists?
2: Well, I think this is a pretty straightforward issue in democracy. You come to office with a project you want to to lay out a policies. If you don't deliver what you have aimed for security, better lives, job opportunities, people shift attention and they want to see the alternative. And if both main alternatives fail, they will go to the extremes on, on either side. And that's why I think it's, um, it is really about coming back to the to the core of, of our objective as a progressive movement. It, it's about the, the the daily life of the people and the security of the people and the respect of the people. And there can be no finger pointing because this is this is down to the, to the fundamentals of jobs, security, neighborhoods, uh, uh, housing, uh, these issues, and to be to be seen that government is there with them to deal with it, and to be honest about it, you know what what we are exp- challenging experiencing. And now with inflation and inf- interest rates in all our countries, that's a hard call to explain to people, you know that we, we have to wait, we have to fall back. In order to get inflation under control, and while this is on the rise, you suffer. But 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 the light in the end of the tunnel is that if you succeed and it starts to go down, you can always harvest and say that you know it worked, and 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 it will make a difference. But it's it's really about I think one thing is the respect for for people, but really the respect for for the the life they are. Uh, uh, They are living, and and the reality is, and as Kier said, it has to be a a kind of a nationwide approach because there will always be growth sectors and less growth sectors, but you have to be there for the whole of the people and the whole of the country.
1: And you've uh, you've had to make difficult trade-offs. I think in the end, progressives get respect for making the difficult trade-offs rather than promising utopia.
0: Populists win when progressives fail, and so we have to take this on as our responsibility. Um, And I, I... I don't... People are often say to me, particularly now, you've got to make a choice between reassurance um, and hope. But you can't have both. I completely reject that. I think the reassurance and hope have to be welded together. You do need that um, reassurance, that stability, to deal with that insecurity. Um, and you won't get hope if you haven't got that in the first place. We had a classic... Just about a year ago, we had the classic exposition of that through Liz Truss. She made unfunded... Um, commitments, uh, contrary to all the sort of uh, fiscal rules that anyone had ever thought uh, are in place. And what happened? The economy completely tanked. Now, she's, not, she's doing lectures now, being paid quite a lot of money for doing them. So she's not paying the price of that. Her peerage list will go through um, in the near future. So all of those advising her will be elevated to our House of Lords. The people paying for that are working people. Um, but we need to learn that um, lesson, reassurance, security, um hugely important word, welded together with the hope um, through a mission-driven government that actually we cannot just understand and fix the immediate problem and rebuild, but take our countries on a journey um, to a place that um, is reflected in improvements across the lives of millions of people.
1: And as Jonas says, we, we lose when we tell people that they've got to drive the right car, eat the right food, uh, use a plastic bag, and by the way, you're fat, vote for us. Not a winning message. <laughs> Thank you both very much. You're both cross you. frontline.